That was good. Man, some days, I'll be honest, like some days my brain, my brain is so scattered, like I don't get to enjoy worship. Man, that was good. Thank you, guys. Um, so, yeah, uh, a couple housekeeping things. There is a, a round table in the middle of the room back there, and today we're affectionately calling it the Origins Lost and Found. Um, believe it or not, people leave stuff here every week, and most of the time the Lost and Found slides under the back seat of my, my pickup, uh, but we pulled it out today. So there's a couple kids' coats, there's some hot hands or potholders back there from the last first Sunday breakfast. I don't think we washed them, so they're probably intact, just as we, we found them uh, the first Sunday of this month. So go and smell them, make sure they're yours, take them home, bring them back in a couple weeks when we do first Sunday breakfast again. Um, great to see everybody. Uh, thank you for, for scooching. This front right section has become like the, all, the no man's land for some reason. So next week, if you want to be different, you want to be a pathfinder, man, sit right there. Uh, yeah, glad to see everybody this morning. Uh, we are, we're still in 1 John. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but we're, we're still here. We take our time. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, so we do have just a couple chapters left. Um, and just kind of a reminder, if you haven't been with us, uh, kind of old man John is writing as a grandfather to the, the church who's a couple generations removed now from the resurrection of Christ. And, and it is. Like, I read it with almost like sitting with a, a godly grandfather inspired by God to convey to me deep spiritual theological truths. And, and John doesn't get there the way uh, the rest of the epistle writers get there. So uh, Paul is very structured and laid out with his letters. John is writing this as a circular letter. It's, it's pretty interesting that he's writing it as a circular letter because he's writing very circularly too. So he kind of meanders along. And so today we're going to see an example of that to where he's, he comes back to an idea that he introduced for us four weeks ago. Um, but today he's going to expand on it a little bit more. If you missed that message four weeks ago, it was on the 14th of January, and it's where Antichrist came up, the last days came up. Uh, go back and listen to that. We're not going to rehash a ton of that. We're going to look at what's here that wasn't there. Um, so if you want to go back, please do that. It's on the website. It's on Spotify, all those places where you can find podcasts. It's, it's there. So um, let me pray, and then we're going to jump in, read this text, talk about a few issues that we need to know before we, before we jump in as well. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Uh, God, thank you for uh, the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, thank you that through him we can know you, be known by you. And Father, we have the responsibility, the opportunity, and the privilege to make you known. God, thank you for the gathering of your saints, um, that it's not just a once and done kind of a thing for all time, but it's a thing that we get to regularly entreat and participate in uh, to gather together as your people, um, called out of this world into your kingdom, and we get to celebrate you. God, thank you that through that you equip us, thank you that through that you grow us, and you reveal more and more of your truths to us that we need to know in order that we may live a life that is pleasing to you. Um, God, thank you for your word. I pray that we look at it well today, uh, that opinions don't matter, but just what you're trying to say does. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, Andrew talked about that uh, the book of 1 John, it can kind of be broken down into three sections, and we're kind of entering that, that closing speech section on love. Uh, John takes kind of an aside for that today uh, to kind of hearken back to something, like I said, that we talked about four weeks ago. And, and it's just uh, the, the idea that we pitched out on that particular day, some of the applications were use caution who we follow, use caution who we follow, but then also we need to be confident in the truth of Jesus and the gospel that he has displayed. And so we're not going to point back to that a whole lot. I would encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and look at it, but uh, you, can, you can treat this as a standalone today too, and you should be fine. Um, John's going to use a word several times, and kind of like we talked about with heart last week, um, it's 
uh, when we see heart written in English, it can be translated from a couple different words, and you know the context is vastly important to how we understand what that heart is. According to that, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the heart could mean the seat of our emotions, which back then it would have been their bowels or their guts, like you feel it in your gut, um, or it could be the analytical place in which we, we keep tabs, we track score, we do those types of things. And so one word meant one thing, the other meant the other, but we translate both heart, and so we have to look at context for what that means. Today, there's another word that pops up, and, and in the Greek, it's the word, the base word of pneuma. And that word pneuma can mean several different things depending on the words that we find around it. And pneuma could mean breath, it could mean wind, it could mean spirit, um, it could mean idea, it could mean all, it could mean uh, angel, could mean demon, could mean any of those things. And so we have to look at context when that word comes up to determine what it means. And so the, the temptation there is to say, well, here's all the senses of this word, here's all the ways that it occurs, but when we are doing our best to be students of Scripture and to translate Scripture well, uh, the, thing, the main thing that they use is always going to be context. After looking at the, uh, the original word, and here Koine Greek, they look at context to determine what that meaning is. Because what we talked about last week is uh, Koine Greek to English is not always word-for-word translation. And so most modern English translations have done a very good job at that, giving us a sense of the word, giving us context to determine meaning. Um, but I want us to be aware of that as we read. And so we're going to start chapter 4, verse 1, read through six verses and then I'm going to point back to the verse that we ended with last week too, kind of in, in reverse. So just, just bear with me. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And uh, so... Like I said, a couple of weeks ago, John jumped back into this love idea, love as displayed by Christ, love as we display it to others. But last week, he ended with just this verse, chapter 3, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so he kind of uh, set up this a little aside conversation in the midst of talking about love to just remind us that further proof that we belong to God, further proof that we live in Him and that He lives in us is just the seal of the Spirit. That thing that we get to see is like that down payment of our faith, the Spirit of the living God coming to live inside of us. He convicts us of sin. He points us towards righteousness. He points us away from unrighteousness. He points us towards our maturity in Christ. He's actively sanctifying us from a passive sense on our part, but from an active sense on His part. He does many, many things. And that Spirit dwelling in me, dwelling in the saints, redeemed by Jesus, is proof that we are exactly that. And so then, this week, uh, because he brought up that word, he used the word pneuma there. He said, by the Spirit whom he has given us, by the pneuma that he's given us, which could mean anything if it weren't for context, he decides to go ahead and talk about things related to spirit-type stuff. And so when we start chapter 4, verse 1, 
He says this again. He's like, beloved or my little children. Either way, he says, do not believe every spirit. So what we've talked about during this time, we don't have um, concrete proof of what was actually pulling the people of Ephesus and the surrounding cities away from the faith. You know, there have been guesses that it could be Gnosticism, Gnosticism or an offshoot of that called Docetism, and it could be that. It kind of points towards this in the text, but we don't know for sure. But what we do know for sure is that people who had confessed Christ uh, were being led away by other people that were saying, yeah, Jesus, but kind of a thing. And so they were bringing new ideas in, and they were coaxing people away. And in this place, John is cautioning them again. He's like, you can't believe everything that you hear just because someone attaches spiritual things to it. Like, don't believe everything you hear just because someone claims it's coming from the same place. And, and I think for us, like, we're going to go over why this is so important. We talked about it four weeks ago, too. Again, be careful who we follow, have great confidence in Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the gospel. Um, but today, again, it's important to be reminded that same idea. We, we can't believe everything we hear just because someone sprinkles a little, sprinkles a little God on it. Okay? We, we can't. Um, now, this is not talking about who you take your car to to get it fixed when it has a weird knock. Okay? You know, you go to the expert in that. Whether they confess Jesus or not, it's okay. Go to the person that knows Ford engines if you have a Ford and it's making a funny noise. All right? Um, we're, we're not talking about who you go to to get your hair done. Um, I, I, I do my own hair, whether you can believe that or not. And, and I trust myself with clippers with no guard. Like, I can do that. But for you, go to the best person that suits the shape of your head and the way that your hair grows. Go to that. doesn't matter whether they confess Christ or not. But in this particular sense, like, John's not talking about these things. Like, he's talking about, like, these things, the eternal things, the salvific things, the things that are pointing us towards how we walk with Christ starting now and moving on all the way for forever. He's talking about these things. So he's saying, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, again, in this, in this space right here, we do have to remember context because if we were just saying, do not believe every pneuma, it could be, do not believe every wind, do not believe every breath, do not believe every whim, do not believe every notion. Now, granted, we could take it out and we could be a bit eisegetical. And like I said, in Bible college, we learned exegesis, yay, eisegesis, boo. So we need to remember that. We could be eisegetical and read things into Scripture, but we're not. We're going to be exegetical, read out of Scripture. So we're not going to make assumptions. The context here, he's talking about things of the Spirit relating to the eternal. So it's not just about wind. It's not just about breath. It's about people coming in the name, even if it's good intentions, in the name of God, telling you things that are contrary to the truth and the veracity of Jesus. So he says, beloved, my children, do not believe every spirit, but, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is also taking a moment to remind them what we've been reminded in other places that we need to know. Ephesians 6.12 uh, affirms this as well. I think it's going to be up there. If it's not, we can figure it out. It is. Paul's talking to the people at Ephesus, where John is living now, by the way, and he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. John is taking an opportunity with the people reading this, this circular and circuitous letter to remind them that this battle that we're facing, it's not against people. 
No, it's against spirits that are speaking, spirits that are guiding, spirits that are giving people maybe well-intended messages to give to people in order to lead them away. Jesus warned us directly about this uh, in Mark 13, which we'll look at a bit later, but he just said, look, uh, there's a time coming, and and it's going to be upon you in which the goal of those that are opposed to me, their goal is to lead you away, to lead you away. Again, not to lead you away from a transmission shop, not to lead you away from a salon, to lead you away from Christ, to lead you away from Christ, who is our, according to the third song that we sang, our living hope. I love that song, by the way. They are trying so hard to lead faithful away from Jesus. And so John is cautioning them early on. He says, do not believe every pneuma, in this case, of the spirit type thing, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into this world. False prophets, just people that are saying things that are not from God. There are many of them out there. He already talked about the lowercase a antichrist, the capital A antichrist, which that word does not appear in Revelation, is alluded to. Just a little Bible trivia for you there. Um, But he's like, they're here. We knew they were coming. They are here now. And so be on guard. They're out there. And so he says, test it. So what does that look like? Verse 2, he says, by this, one of his favorite phrases in the second half of the book, by this you know the Spirit of God. If it's from God's spirit, if it's from God, here's the test. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I'm going to reread it again. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So he goes ahead to give us like the litmus test, so to speak. The litmus test. And he's like, look, I'm telling you to test every spirit. Okay, every spirit that's coming in the form of another person who's speaking to you, who has been impacted, who has been pushed, who has been driven to say these things, um, here's your test. If that person that is speaking through a spirit, if, if that person confesses that Jesus, two things, number one, has come, and number two, has come in the flesh, then, then it's from God. And those two things, like, why are those so vastly important? Well, I'll be honest, the entire gospel rests on those two things right there. The entire gospel. Did Jesus come? Was he in the flesh? The whole gospel rests on those two things. And it's very likely that what they were facing right now, like, I, like we talked about, if it was docetism, which they confessed that, yeah, Jesus was here, but he was just a spirit. He was not corporeal. He didn't have arteries. He didn't have skin. He was walking around. He looked just like a spirit, but he really wasn't spirit. Um, maybe that was what he was facing right now. Maybe that's what they were hearing right now. But either way, he said, these spirits that you're listening to, one test, did Jesus come and did he come in the flesh? And by him actually arriving or coming here, like that's a loaded thing because in this, they would have understood this early church. They would have understood that John didn't just mean, did he arrive? But they would have also known where he and from whom he came from. Like not just did he show up, but but who did he come from and where did he come from? Well, number one, he came from eternity before, eternity to continue, sitting by his Father's right side. He came from God, came from heaven, dwelt among us, put on skin. Did he come? Did he come from heaven? Did he come from God the Father? Did he come from eternity? Did he step out? Did he come? If I mean, that's the first part of the litmus test. If someone's coming to you with eternal truths and they're saying this is what we need for eternal knowledge to be right with God and they say anything other than Jesus left, Jesus was sent by his Father and Jesus came and dwelt among us, then already right there for the eternal, we can cut them off. 
You're like, man, that's so harsh. No, it's not harsh. It's, it's reality. People are coming to steal us away. The spirits are trying to remove us from the fold of Christ. And if they come with any other message, then Jesus left eternity from his Father God to dwell among us, then their message of eternity is false. It's false. The second, did he come in flesh? Did he come in flesh? He had to come in flesh because he was dying for flesh. Like the price that Jesus paid, if he was just a spirit and a spirit was crucified on the cross, the spirit wouldn't fix our problem because we've all sinned in the flesh. And the price that had to be paid had to match the offending party. And Jesus had to be human in order to die for humanity. I asked my kids, I'm like, Capiche? Jesus had to die in the flesh so that flesh could be redeemed. And if he was walking around in any other way, the price of his death would not have mattered for me and would not have mattered for you. So did he leave, sent from the Father to dwell among us, and did he have skin on? God dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. Scriptures attested to it well before he even arrived. Not just a spirit meandering through, but a God with skin on, walking amongst us, can feel pain, can feel hunger, can feel the pain and the agony of the cross, not just because he's bearing the weight of my sin, but because he's having nails driven through his hands and his feet and a spear driven through his side, and he's suffocating on the, the liquid that's building up in his lungs. God in flesh felt all of that. The first test of the Spirit is, is this person uh, coming to you with an idea that's contrary to any of these two things? And if, if it is, verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus... Coming and in flesh is not from God. Seems fairly simple. Seems fairly simple. We'll get to the difficulty in just a bit. So rereading verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And again, this Antichrist thing, we don't want to Tim LaHaye it. Okay, I don't even know if you've read those books, but they're super colorful, and I can pick them out on any bookshelf. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but that's not what we're looking towards here right now. Like we talked about when we talked about general Antichrist, that spirit that is in the world, that is just like people that don't use turn signals are anti-turn signals. Okay? They drive me crazy. My wife has pointed out that mine is not long enough when I'm changing lanes, but I do use it. That's Ford's fault that you tap it and it only lasts for like three blinks. That's, that's not on me. I'm not tapping it twice. That's too much work. But either way, like antichrist in this sense are just, man, the spirit that is in this world that is in opposition to Jesus. That is anti-Jesus. That is not for Jesus. And so they're not going to affirm uh, that he left where he was for eternity. They're not going to affirm that he was sent by his Father God. They're not going to affirm that he came and put on skin and died for those with skin on. They're not going to affirm these things. And they said, if they don't, they are from the spirit of the Antichrist. You've heard they're coming. The spirit's already here. It's here. And so that's, that's our test. And he said, which you've heard was coming down in the world, verse 4. Little children... And this points me back towards last week. We talked about it in our community group. We'll make the reference in just a second. But little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I know this is a bumper sticker verse, but a lot of people have never, you know, have heard it and been like, yeah, I've quoted that. That's great. That gives me a lot of passion, a lot of power, a lot of confidence. And it should. And it should. But again, context is everything. 
and the context that it's talking about is we are dwelling in a world in which there are spirits living in this world that are opposed to the very truth and veracity and the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are walking among them. And on one hand, that should be frightening, and that should be very scary, and that should make us feel stress at every single turn that someone's not going to agree with me or someone's going to try to dissuade me from the truth. And John stops for just a second, and he reminds you. And he reminds us, he reminds the readers then, he says, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he was in the world. I need to hear it. I need to be reminded that even though I walk in a world that is in direct opposition to the truth of Jesus, his very nature, his very mission, his very person, I live in this world, I dwell in this world, I am in this world it's going to be okay. Because in the scope of outside of our time and our understanding, God's already overcome it. And as a result, us being partakers of the righteousness that is through Jesus and Jesus alone, we have as well. And you say, well, I don't know, Joe. I still hear it every day. Well, my name's not Joe, but you will hear it every day. But it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change whose you are. It doesn't change your destination that started at the moment of our covenant relationship that we entered by grace through faith if we just believe. It doesn't change anything because God's already taken care of it. Now, he's not in the business of relocation. He's in the business of redemption. So that means that at salvation, we stay here so that others may still get to hear about the renewing, rejuvenating, beautiful love of Jesus. And so we stay. So he's not relocating us automatically to eternity's gates. No, he's leaving us here because there's a message to share. But in that time, we still will encounter the spirit of the Antichrist frequently. Frequently. And some days it'll be blatant. Some days it will be quite clear. Someone will say, well, I just don't believe in Jesus. This is what I believe in. Quite clear. Other days, not so clear. Other videos, not so clear. Other sound bites, not so clear. Remember, four weeks ago, be very careful whom we follow. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But verse 6, we are from God. That's a we, by the way. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John, even though there's, there's six lines here, what John's doing, or six verses here, John's just saying, look, uh, there will be winds that blow through. <laughs> there will be spirits that are perceived. That their goal, their job, whether they know it or not in the person is to lead us away from Jesus. And here's how you know. If they confess any form of Jesus that does not match up to what you heard from the beginning, which would have been John's phrase in chapter 1, from that version of Jesus that left eternity, left his father, born of a virgin as a baby in a stall, grew into a man who did not know sin but yet was very familiar with temptation, lived a life that was entirely victorious, even though temptation was at every corner, died on the cross, not for his sin, but for mine, kicked death in the teeth and walked out of the grave and then ascended back to heaven where he had always been before. That form of Jesus, if they confess any other version, that is not God. That is not God. But don't be afraid. 
Because all those voices, all those spirits, they're going to be around you. It's guaranteed, and they're going to try to dissuade you from the truth of Jesus. God's bigger. He's greater. Just like the verse from last week when we were talking about when our heart, our analytical heart condemns us, and we can have confidence from God. It's just God is greater than our heart and knows everything. In this case, God is greater than the spirits of the Antichrist dwelling around in this world. He is greater. His victory is already assured. By proxy, so is ours. We can have faith in that. We can have confidence in that. And we can know that he who is in us, which blows me away, is greater than he who is in the world. Amazing confidence. Very worthy of a bumper sticker. But context is key. So let's make sure that we speak within context. And so for us, like what, what, is this, what does this look like? Where does it point us in this particular place? Well, I think, um, I think the first kind of rests in a confession. The confession that we, we need to make, that we need to, that we need to understand, and that we need to be very familiar with. Um, and this is, here it is. We need to know that there is a battle going on every single day for our attention, our heart, our worship, and our affections. I'll say it again. We need to know and be aware that every single day there is a battle going on for our attention, our heart, our worship, and our affections. Every day. Every minute of every single day. Whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether it's palpable or not, it's there. That is the desire of the enemy. The spirit of the Antichrist didn't come from just anywhere. No, it came from Satan, who his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy, prowling, you know, prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's after every single one of us. Every single one. Just trying to, in, in the words of Scripture, remove the elect. That's what he's trying to do. Now, here's the beauty of that. He can't. He can't. But he is going to try. And with that effort can bring great pain, can bring great suffering, can bring great doubt, can bring great inner turmoil. It can happen. And I'll just kind of tell you assertively, it will happen. But we need to be aware of it before it does. And again, pointing out um, the passage in Mark, Mark 13, verses 22 and 23. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I've told you these things beforehand. This was about 60 years before 1 John was written. And Jesus said, you need, you need to be on guard. He's like, people are going to come. They're going to say things that are not true, but they're going to look and sound like a prophet. They're going to sound like people that have authority. They're going to sound like people that are very aware of the truth. And they're going to say things. And their goal, their goal is to lead you away, to lead you away. The very same thing that the people of Ephesus and the people of the six surrounding cities had seen happen amongst them, people that claimed Christ, came back in and said, hey, hey, let me, let me tell you this new thing. Just give me your ear for just a minute. It sounds really good, and I promise it's true, and it's from God. Just to lead them astray. We will see it. We will feel it, and it will happen unless we are on guard. And so that's exactly the reason John says, test every spirit. 
He says, my little children, like I'm, I'm talking to you like I love you because I do. Test every spirit to make sure that it's from God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, Paul talking to the people at Rome, I beseech you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what is and is not the will of God. You know, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world anymore, but be transformed, like so that we may know what the, the actual will of God is. This is our appropriate act of worship. Like, same thing. John's reiterating again, like, test every spirit. Make sure we're aware of where it's coming from, because when we figure out where it's coming from, we automatically know where it's pointing us to. So know where it comes from. And just, again, like these, these, this is not transmission issues. This is not hair issues. This is like eternal things. Like, where are they trying to get me to go? Where is it trying to take me? Is it, is it the truth of Jesus? Is it like honestly the truth of Jesus, not some variation? And I would even take it a step further in, in applying to Galatians, what John is saying here. Like the people of Galatia suffered from a slightly different scenario in this. But the people of Galatia, and it sounds, it's very, very tricky. It was, hey, this Jesus whom you've confessed, he's great. He's great. Stick to Jesus. But there's a list of other things you need to. How is that different? How is it the same? Well, the people here, they're probably not telling them that they need more in addition to. They're telling them that they need less. But the people in Galatia, they're being told, yeah, keep Jesus. He's great, but you need to add these laws on top of that. The problem is that's contrary to what Jesus said because Jesus came and he said, I've done it all because you couldn't. I've effectually taken care of the law. I've lived out all of the law, and I'm taking the price of breaking all the law because you couldn't handle any of that. And so I'm doing it for you. You don't need other things added to me. You just need me. That's Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me unless you do these other things. He didn't say that. He says, I am the gate, the only way into God. I'm him. You have to come through me. So either we believe what Jesus said or he's a liar. Because he made audacious claims that he was it. He was the only way to God the Father. We don't need anything extra. We don't need anything removed. We just need Jesus. And we either believe that wholeheartedly or we just need to confess that Jesus was a liar. Because he claimed to be the only way. He claimed to be the only gate. So we have to pick and choose. Is he it or is he a liar? And if he's a liar, he's not worth following. So we have to decide. So we test every spirit. Because they are actively trying to devour you and me every single day. And they may come dressed in the best intentions possible. And here's the scariest part about it. People speaking these things may not even know that they're trying to lead you astray. They just think they've heard something good and it's been good for them. And so they, they want to share it with you too. Sometimes this comes... Um, dressed in the gospel plus good works, you know, a Galatians issue. Uh, sometimes this comes dressed in a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on a lot of self-help because those books sell like crazy. You know, you need Jesus, but also, girl, you got to get up and wash your face. I'm not throwing out anything specific there, but I just did. You don't have to wash your face. Anyway, I mean, that's good hygiene, but it's not going to save you. Some days this could come dressed in um, just blatant ignorance. Somebody doesn't know, but they, they feel like they have an idea, and, and they say things like, you know, I feel like 
or I believe that, not because of Jesus and not because of Scripture, but because of the proof that I've seen in my life. It's completely valid. It should be valid for you. Those things don't work. For transmissions, they're great. For your updo, they're great. But not for our eternal pursuit of Jesus. They can't work. They don't stand up to the test. Is Jesus who he said he was, from where he said he came from, to do what he said he came to do, to actually come and do it, and do it? And did he do it with skin on, because those with skin on needed salvation? They don't stand up to the test. I read a a great quote this week from uh, one of the professors from from Wheaton, um, and she's a She's a New Testament Greek scholar. She, she writes, writes a lot of amazing commentaries. Her name's Karen Jobes. And she said, A claim that human religion has evolved beyond the need for blood atonement cannot be received from God's Spirit. Claims for a socially constructed morality that shuns biblical instruction in favor of relativism are of the world and are not from God. People are going to repackage religion. The spirits are going to repackage religion in the most attractive means possible with the best ribbons, the best paper, and they're going to set it on our doorstep. And they're going to tell us, this is all you need if you just do this. But if it's not revolving around, completely involving, and being centered on Christ, it's not what we need. It will never be what we need. It may feel good in the moment. It may bring some immediate self-satisfaction. But eternally, it fails. It fails. Same things that the Galatians needed to hear, we need to hear. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And then when the Spirit comes in as a seal and as a convictor and as an indwelling agent of change, we let him change. He's not going to add legalistic mindset to us. He's not going to add law to us because Jesus already came and did all of that. It's just Jesus. So the first is knowing there's a battle for you, for me, every single day, being aware of it. And according to Jesus, like, be on guard. Be ready to fight. That's what it means. Like, be ready to fight. Be ready to defend. There's that. The second is this. Like, if you find yourself in this struggle, if we find ourselves in this struggle, if we find ourselves and we're having to test these spirits and we don't exactly know what's going on, we don't know, does it pass a litmus test or does it not? You know, what are they claiming? I think the first thing that we do is is just this. Like, we stop and we pray for discernment. Discernment's that big biblical word for us being able to tell what's good and what's not in our spirit, in our pneuma that lives in us, that's been indwelled by the very spirit of God and is being actively changed by him, passive from our standpoint, but God is renovating, rejuvenating, sanctifying me daily. And so we seek God to deal with us through his spirit. Let me know, is this from you or is it not? Discernment. Hebrews 5.14 But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Very often discernment is a byproduct of maturing in Christ. Like solid food, by the way, that's contrary to like milk. And babies drink milk. Okay, now I I love dairy, don't get me wrong. I love a chocolate espresso milkshake from Spill the Beans, and and it's, it's well worth every single penny, and it does great things. It's amazing, and it has a lot of milk in it, and that's bad for me. I love milk, but... As believers, we need to move on beyond milk. Like, if we read the actual Greek translation, when it talks about moving on beyond milk, it says, get off the teat. Seriously, you need to be off, like, speaking from farm terms, like, you need to be off the teat by now. You need to be having solid food, 
because that's what mature people eat. If you continue to drink milk for the rest of your life, you wouldn't grow. You would stop. Just milk. You need to move on. Solid food is for the mature. We need to be going after the solid food so that discernment develops in us. That means that we pursue God daily. We pursue God sacrificially. We pursue God continually so that we may know God and the things of God so that when these counterfeits come our way, we can tell the difference because we've been following him for a long time. About six, eight months ago, really weird thing, crazy thing happened, and it was just one of those moments where um, I was in the car later, and I'm like, oh, man, God, that was really neat. Um, I don't even remember who I was with, but I was in a parking lot, and I'm an outdoorsy guy. Like, I, I love to fish. I love to hunt, um, and, and I, I just love the outdoors. We went out, outdoors with a couple buddies yesterday, and we went for the purpose of killing some squirrels. Didn't see a single squirrel, but it was great. It was great to be out there with some buddies out there out in nature. Nature's neat. And so... I've been outside a lot, and, and I know how outside feels. I know when the sun's too hot, I'm going to go inside. I know the agreement that I've made with God. If I don't reveal skin when the sun's out, he won't burn it. I've got that down. Um, but, you know, I'm not a meteorologist. But I was standing out there talking to a couple of guys in a parking lot, and, and, like, it was warmer outside that day, you know, like low 80s, and a cool breeze came through, and it had a specific smell to it. And I just kind of looked down and said, man, it's going to rain in just a couple hours. How did I know that? Had I read the weather report? Nope, I hadn't. Hadn't read the weather report. I do every morning most days because I want to know what my kids should wear, but that day I hadn't. But just without even thinking about it, without even doing the math, like it hit me and I had felt it dozens of times before and I was like, man, it's going to rain in a couple hours. And then I was driving and a couple hours later, guess what? The sky opened up and I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I, I need to go and call in and be a weatherman. But it wasn't the fact that I need to be a weatherman. It was just something that I had felt so many times before that I knew exactly what was coming because I had been out in warmth and you feel a cool breeze and you smell that specific smell that you can't quite describe and you're like, man, it's going to rain. Because I've been caught in a lot of rainstorms in which I did not heed those warnings in the past and you end up having a terrible day of fishing or a terrible day of hunting and it's miserable and you dump water out of your boots when you get home. It's no fun. And I remember driving, and this was my thought on that particular day. I was like, God, I want to be so familiar with your spirit that when I feel it, I don't have to do the math. I don't have to do the calculations. I know, just as I knew in that moment, that that was you. That that was you. Just like when that breeze hit me and I smelled it, I knew that it was going to rain. When God speaks, when God deals with me, I want to know him so well and be so familiar with the way that he works with me. I don't have to stop and ask, God, is this you? That comes from years of eating solid food. That comes from years of trusting God's leading and God's spirit. And I'll be honest, some days I'm there, some days I'm not. But I do know the closer that I get to there when something that is not of God's spirit blows through, I'll be able to point and say, that's not it. Because I've been with God, and I know the difference. That's what I want. That's the discernment that we need to pray for, the one that comes through a result of maturity, which implies that we've put in the time. We've put in the effort. We've put in the work, not so that we may be saved, but because we've already been redeemed. And now we have a God who's waiting to be known by us. And we work to know him. Now discernment also shows up in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12 as a gift. And I, I do believe that some people, there's a gift of discernment. Like, that's their gifting. And, and, and they, they can just know. And I love those people. I want those people around me. 
Like, we want those people in leadership. We want those people around us, surrounding us, so that when someone comes into our world, blows on through, they look and be like, nope, 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 they just need to keep on walking. And that sounds very unloving, but we're talking about protecting the flock. And sometimes people need to keep on walking. And Paul even says it's okay to pray for other gifts. So maybe, as a gift... If you're constantly inundated with trying to ask the question, you're in this struggle, is this from God? Is it not from God? It sounds good, but eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you pray for that gift of discernment, and maybe God grants it to you. We have to be wise enough to when something comes through and tries to dissuade us, pull us away, we stop and we ask, what's at the center of this? Where's this coming from? Because that will tell us where it's going to take us. John loved these people enough to say, look, it's coming for you. Test the spirits. Here's how you know. But at the same time, don't be afraid. Because God's bigger. He's already won. So have you. But still know. They're coming for you. I want to reread verses 2 through 3. It says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I would love to pray that we would never encounter these. Like that. I would love for that to be my prayer. I don't feel comfortable praying that. I'm not saying it's not good for you, but I don't feel comfortable praying that. I think as people that are mature and following Jesus, we need to be able to discern what is real and what is not, what is true and what is false. Because I think that's another indicator of whether or not we've been close to God. And ultimately, that's what I desire for you. That's what I desire for me. That's what I desire for my kids, that we've been close enough to God that we can tell the difference when something comes through that's not His. That's not His. No matter what it's dressed in, no matter what it's wrapped in, no matter how good it looks, it says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh and die for those who were in the flesh just like he did. It's not his. And we need to let it go. Put the book down. Turn off the YouTube video. Stop listening to the podcast. Tell the person that we just don't want to talk about that anymore unless that they would like to hear your side of it. And move on. Move on. Let's pray together. God, we love you. I love you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you uh, for the inspiration of John to, to just tell his readers that uh, there's a spiritual battle, and it's going, and it's raging, um, and the target is us, those who have identified with Christ, who have been redeemed by his life, his words, his death, and his resurrection, the only truth we need, but they come with other truths. Father, I do pray that you would give us the discernment, the ability to, to look at the test. Who are they confessing? Are they con genuinely confessing the one true Christ and what he's done? Or is it some other version? A spirit that is opposed to Christ, but may sound really good in the moment. Father, give us the boldness and the willpower to, to stop listening, to stop reading, to stop following when those time comes and we see that this is not from you. And maybe give us the boldness to speak up when it's coming from a person that we're sitting across from. We can lovingly uh, tell them the truth of you, the gospel that rests only in you, and the hope 
that remains only in you. Thank you for loving us enough to reveal Christ. And thank you for redeeming us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.